How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, back at it again, continuing on our study of the Gospel of Mark. And we are up to chapter 9. All right, so please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. And picking up where we left off, uh, taking a walk through the life of Christ. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to our next uh, uh, broadcast, we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing. And again, we're going to be using the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study. We see interpretation, application, demonstration. Interpretation is the what, the what of the narrative, what it flat out says, the literal value of scripture, what it says, what it means. But uh, uh, for this, you also got to under, understand the full context. Uh, we've got to back up, go again over it slowly, uh, go past, past what you're reading, get the full context. Some people, they struggle at a verse or a passage and they're not sure what it means, but if you most times if you just back up a bit and go ahead a bit and read read the whole passage the whole context sometimes the previous chapter goes right in with it and we can understand what's being said and then we take a look at application the how how it's being said the specific words and the pictures and the images and taking a look at uh at uh how you compare scripture with scripture rightly dividing the word of truth a biblical uh biblical proper biblical study is you're not comparing scripture with other things but with itself you take a look at other passages books and of the bible and seeing how it's being presented how it's being said the mannerisms uh the the, the specific words the meanings of the words all of that it's very very important and then finally with this we see the the whole purpose of this is for personal demonstration to go live it speak it think it do it so we learn learn this and study this memorize it apply it to ourselves and we go and we uh share it unto others all right and as well we see the proper biblical uh study principle the clear interprets the unclear so when you come across a passage a bit that you're not 100 sure on well where else in the word of god does it kind of talk about this like for example about salvation is salvation by works or by grace so what does it say well it says we're saved by grace so with that then any other passage that others may may say or it may seem to kind of imply maybe it has something to do with works well you know that's not the case because over here it clearly says salvation is by grace through faith not of works, not of yourselves, not by righteous works, not by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, but by belief, by the sheer unmerited favor of God. So we know then that these other bits over here are not talking about works for salvation. So it must be saying something else because over here it says clearly what salvation is by. So the clear interprets the unclear. All right, I'm already winded. Okay, so with that, let's uh, <laughs> let's continue on our study here, the Gospel of Mark, chapter nine, and going verse by verse, point by point, 
And if you, again, if you see anything you'd like to talk about, comment on, please feel free to do so. Uh, again, that's what the comments are for. So, comment section is for. So, please go ahead, fire away. Um, if I don't get around to answering your question, um, just remind me. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I just don't notice it, don't see it. So, forgive me if I, if I have done that. Um, there's a lot going on here, so it's hard for me to keep up sometimes. So, just badger me with it. Well, I'll get to it eventually. All right. All right. Coffee's hot. So is our faith. Let's get going. Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. What's he talking about here? All right, so if we actually take a look in chapter 8, at the end here, what do we see? What do we see? We see Jesus uh, talking here, uh, starting at verse 34 of chapter 8. And Jesus had called the people unto him with his disciples also. And he starts talking to them. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So he's talking to the people. And we see in verse 38 uh, at the end of the chapter, or is it? Now, like I said at the beginning about um, proper biblical study, the Berean method, uh, interpretation, application, demonstration, um, with proper context, you have to ignore chapter-verse divisions. Because as you see here, verse 38 of chapter 8, it's not the end of Jesus talking there. Jesus doesn't stop talking at verse 38, and then there's a gap of time, and then he, and then he starts talking somewhere else in chapter 9, verse 1. So Jesus says in verse 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. You see, the chapter-verse divisions, like I said before, were added later on uh, as a study tool help uh, to help us to, to be able to locate bits passages uh, things throughout the scriptures the chapter verse divisions are not inspired but are, were a a help study tool created by man added uh, to help assist us in our reading searching studying of the scriptures so we got to um we got to be very careful of, uh, of when we're reading of cutting short the context. So always make sure you're reading full context. So for example, like this, when you're when you're going through, make sure to keep reading. Look ahead to see does it continue on. Does does this context of what they're saying continue on? Keep reading that. Otherwise, what you can do is you can actually foul up. Uh, cause issues in your grasp and comprehension of scripture if you're not reading full context and full context includes even breaking into the previous uh, the, the next chapter going back into the previous chapter or whatnot so always make sure to back up go ahead and make sure to get the full context of what you're reading i just want to throw that out there as a tidbit <clears throat> 
All right, so what does Jesus mean here? <clears throat> Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here, and some of them who? What's he talking about? Well, okay, let's go back to chapter 8, verse... Um, Sorry, verse 34. Whosoever will come after him, after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what's he talking about? This is salvation. To, to take up your cross, follow me. This is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, following the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. Who is he talking to? He called the people, the multitude, unto him with his disciples also. He said unto them, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Okay, and then he goes on to talk about uh, some some of them stand here which shall not uh, which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. All right, so now if we take a look at what happened, how the apostles, the disciples were all killed. All of the apostles were martyred, save Apostle John. Now Apostle John wrote the the Gospel of John. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. Now, if we take a look at all of them, we see Jesus here is referring to the Apostle John. It is what we consider that is, the, is what he's talking about here. Because what did John write about? The coming of the kingdom of God in the book of Revelation. Uh, uh, where we kind of get a glimpse at the the end of the whole game here. Where we've, we've, we've read the back of the book and we win. We see the outcome. We, we know what's going to happen. So John is the only one that wasn't slaughtered like the rest of them. So verily I say unto you that there shall be some of them standing here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of the kingdom of God come with power. So we see Jesus get, getting giving them a bit of a, a glimpse of some insight here of what's going to happen in the future. Now we see in a previous uh, in one of the other gospels here, a uh, previous bit uh, we talked about uh, how some of the apostles they heard this and were murmuring about this, and it, it was then. Uh, because they knew that he was talking about John here as I can't recall off the top of my head exactly how it goes, but they, they knew Jesus was referring, referring to John and uh, uh, well, Peter says, well, what about him? And Jesus said, said about that, that some, some shall not uh, die till they have not, till they have seen the kingdom of God come in power. And so they believed that that meant that John wasn't going to die. And Jesus says, I never said that he was, wasn't going to die, but that he wasn't going to die until he saw so we see specific wording here, not to jump to assumption and not to jump to our own preconceptions, all this, but what does it say? What does it mean? And we compare this here. Now, believe it or not, uh, I actually have come across um, a crazy sect uh, of individuals who took take this bit right here. And we compare it to the other Gospels where Jesus is talking about John. And these people, these professed Christians, believe that John is still alive. They think, somehow, that what this means is that God is blessing John with immortality. That John is going to live until Christ comes again. Is that what Jesus meant? So Jesus meant. 
we can see the, the weird, crazy ideas that people get. These weird conspiracy ideas. Uh, but that's not what it's talking about. Because as we see, by the writing of John in the book of Revelation, it's all about the second coming of Christ, and we see the end of days, all this coming in, and then the kingdom of God finally come down. So that's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about John is being given immortality, but just just that unlike all the others, he's not going he's not going to be martyred like the others, but rather that this is what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. There's there's crazy uh, religious conspiracy theories on literally everything. So. <laughs> Our job is to see what does the Bible flat out say, that's what it means, and I don't bring my own ideas, my own opinions into it. Yeah. All right. Okay, so uh, verse 1, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them stand, that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up that leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Okay, so we see the Mount of Transfiguration here. It takes Peter, James, and John. The, these uh, were the leaders of the apostles. We see that Peter, James, and John. He takes them up, and he was transfigured before them. He was changed. Something happened to him in, in front of them where he changed. Okay? And his raiment, his clothes, became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Now, that's an, uh, an, uh, an old trade, the fuller. The fuller is the one who would dye, who would, who would bleach the clothing. And, uh, but what it's saying here is that there is nothing on earth that you could possibly use, you could possibly do to get your clothing as white as what Jesus' clothes became. So this is talking about some form of unnatural thing. This is a supernatural thing. His clothes went supernaturally white. It's a, now, exceeding white as snow, shining, that's sparkling, shining like the sun, white. Like a, like a flash of, of light, white. Game shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto, unto them Elias, Elijah, and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Okay, how, how'd that happen if soul sleep is true? I always like to bring this in. You know what the other do? They say, well, you know, God can make exceptions. Oh, how, how convenient. How convenient. No, soul sleep is a bunch of nonsense. And we see multiple, multiple aspects uh, throughout the scripture that, that clearly easily disprove soul sleep. Soul sleep is a bunch of nonsense. Okay, um, there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, Peter, James, and John, as we see from, a, from another passage, they had fallen asleep. And they, they woke up, and they saw. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said unto Jesus. So Peter woke up and saw this, and he starts talking. He says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Huh? 
for he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. So he just starts talking out of fear. He's in such a shock at what he's seeing. And he's just starts blabbing words are falling out and he doesn't even know what he's talking about he has no idea what he's saying now elijah moses and jesus were talking and peter just interrupts and just starts talking nonsense he wished not what to say he had no idea what he's saying he's just talking without thinking for they were so afraid and there was a cloud that overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. So the voice of God, so the, 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 the cloud of God, the Shekinah glory cloud of God, came down and over, overshadowed them, surrounded them, and the voice of God spoke, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And what is God saying? What, what, what's he meaning by this? Stop talking listen to him don't listen to yourself don't listen to anything else listen to him what he has to say stop interrupting pay attention listen to him for he wist not what to say for they were sore afraid now we've seen this so many times sore afraid they're exceedingly terrified uh, constantly 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 from the storms and all the other trials and issues and now this they were sore afraid you know we look at that and say well, how come how how is that possible how could they still keep being afraid after everything they've seen everything they've gone through it's very easy to point the finger it's very easy to accuse others why do they keep falling in trouble why do they keep sinning why do they keep doing this we don't we, we, we often play monday morning quarterback and it's very easy to to judge after uh, afterwards it's very easy to think that we could do better that we can be better uh, that we could know better but i mean this is why it's so important when we're reading the word of god and things like this to put yourself there just for a moment imagine seeing and experiencing it all now from our perspective say yeah that'd be really cool yeah but could you imagine what your brain would be doing at the time seeing full-on supernatural manifestations now imagine your reaction you're walking with jesus and the gathering demoniac just comes running at you screaming like a demonic banshee naked running out of the tombs covered in cuts and bleeding screaming with demonic voices falling at the feet of jesus and over five thousand demons start speaking at once you're telling me you wouldn't be afraid or all the other things that happen how about the storms and stuff and then you think you're literally going to drown in the storm and there goes jesus walking by on the water you're telling me you wouldn't be afraid we, we need to be realistic now the point here is we see the humanity of the disciples and the patience of god the patience of god his long-suffering patience we, we we don't see god getting angry at peter here for interrupting and saying what he's saying but rather we see a gentle correction a reminder not to just talk don't just talk don't just react to things don't react to things you want to think about it stop pay attention listen listen because what did what did the lord say this is my beloved son hear him 
He didn't say see him. He said hear him. You can't trust your eyes. You can't trust your senses. But what can you trust? Listening to the word of God. Listening to the word of God. This is my beloved son. Hear him. What does the Lord Jesus have to say? In every situation, everything that, that comes up, what can we trust? What can we trust? We can't trust our senses, but we can trust the word of God. Because as we see, it's Peter, James, and John. Peter is the one here that, that's now interacting, that the Lord is now speaking to Peter. And we can compare this here with Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. Let's go over there. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. And we want verses 16 to 21. We see Peter actually refers to this event. This event here, the Mount of Transfiguration, he refers to this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. All right, let's read this. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Now let's break this down. We have not followed cunningly devised fables. Crafty, deceptive stories, made-up stories that, that, uh, that were told. It's not just metaphors and parables and stuff. That what we follow is the living truth. This isn't just made-up stories. This isn't just uh, metaphors and whatnot. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Eyewitnesses of his majesty, his power, what he could do, what he said, everything about him. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The same voice which spoke when Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan. And this voice, this voice, this same voice, this voice which came from heaven, we heard. We heard it too, this voice, when we were with him in the holy mount. Mount of Transfiguration. We also have a more sure word. Now these words which were spoken from the cloud, which were spoken in the mount, which were spoken at the river Jordan, these words which were spoken, we have a more sure. It's even more sure than the audible voice of God. What is more sure, more dependable, more sacred, more special, more powerful than even the audible voice of God? We have a more sure word of prophecy. Render ye do well that ye take heed as, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as are moved by the Holy Ghost. Even more sure than the audible voice of God is the word of God. The scriptures. It's even more sure than experiences. More sure than signs and wonders. More sure than what your senses tell you. You can trust the scriptures more. Think about that one for a moment. So when this voice spoke, this is my beloved son, hear him. Listen to the word of God over everything else. Yes, signs, wonders, experiences are amazing, can be amazing and all of that. But we can't 
trust them. We don't put our faith in experiences. Like I like to explain it is that uh, experiences are like bonuses. They're, it's a bonus. It's an, it's an extra tidbit that can possibly come along. That's awesome if it does, but if it doesn't, you know, it's, it doesn't matter because the word of God is sufficient. It has an answer for absolutely everything and anything that could ever come along your way. We trust in the word of God, which will never let us down. It will never deceive us, never hurt us. It will never lie to us. It will never lead us astray. We can trust it with our lives 100%. The word of God is applied mentally, physically, spiritually, circumstantially. It's applied in every situation, in every way possible. We can trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, who gave us his word, and God cannot lie. Hear him. Don't hear yourself. Don't, don't pay attention to your senses and everything else going around you. Listen to what the Lord has said. Listen to what the Lord has said. This is my beloved son. Hear him. And suddenly, verse 8, and suddenly when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And suddenly Moses and Elijah were just gone. Now, I also like to put, put something in here. There's a question. Peter in verse 5. Peter woke up uh, from his nap and he looks up and he sees Jesus changed, shining like the sun. And there's Moses and Elijah. One for Moses, one for Elias. So he says we should make three tabernacles. One for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. How did Peter know that that was Moses and Elijah? Think about that one for a moment. How did he know that was Moses and Elijah? Think about it. See, these are things that, that people often glaze over when they're reading. They read that, but they don't think of that. How did Peter know that was Moses and Elijah? See, with all of this, there's a, there's a supernatural spiritual component. That Moses and Elijah, servants of the Most High God, when they died, their spirits went to be with the Lord. Now, in the afterlife, there's no confusion. We will know everyone that's there. We'll just know. Like Paul says, I met a man in heaven above, whether in the body or the body, I cannot tell. And he saw and heard things that there comes a supernatural understanding as well. That the the soul uh, the saved souls know the saved souls. So we see that by by the power of the Spirit of God, we are given understanding, we are given knowledge, and uh, uh, Paris Vaughn says the same way we will know each other in spirit when we get to heaven, because he knew the scriptures, because he knew the Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament doesn't tell us what they looked like. Tells us they were men and that they're servants of God and things that they did doesn't tell us what they look like. But we see rather there's there's a supernatural understanding that comes by the Spirit of God. A discernment, understanding, wisdom, insight. Yeah. 
the Spirit of God gives us understanding. So just something to think about. Give that some thought. Some homework for you. All right, so, and uh, let's see, in Mark chapter 9, verse 8, and suddenly when they had looked around about, they saw no men anymore save Jesus only with them. Um, and so the whole experience ended. Now, what did they get from that? People could say, well, it was so amazing. It was such a blessing. That experience encouraged me, helped me. Okay, for how long? Now, I'm not putting down experiences, but rather I'm putting experiences in their proper place for you to consider this. Not to go angling after experiences because the weight of the experience will wear off. Will wear off. That it may last with you for a day, a couple of days, week, but then it starts to wane. It starts to wane, starts to wane, and uh, it starts to wear off. And it becomes just a memory. And the actual fullness of the experience with the feeling of the senses and the rush and everything that goes with it, it is no longer with you, no longer part of it. So experiences wear off. But the word of God does not. Scripture remains the same. Truth remains the same. And it doesn't matter. If, for example, let's take a look at John 3.16. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that the weight of the meaning of that truth remains with us all our lives, every day. And it never wears off. It never dies out. It remains the same. It, re, it remains the fullness of the truth and the weight of that truth. It doesn't matter if we if we were to live for a billion trillion years, it would remain the same. But experiences become a distant memory, like like looking at at, a, at another car in your rearview mirror, and you're, you're it's sitting still, and you drive away, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and pretty soon you may even forget it. You may even forget that experience, but you don't forget the Word of God. Hear Him. Not hear this, hear him, hear him. Verse 9, And they came down from the mountain. He charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they obeyed that. And we see that Peter, it was long after the resurrection and writing of his, his, uh, his letter there in Second Peter, he, he refers back to that experience. And we see here in the Gospels, I mentioned this, this is after the resurrection when they write these, thing, these things down. And uh, why? Why? Why, did, why does Jesus constantly tell people he's healed, delivered, helped, or that his disciples here about this experience? Why does he tell them, tell no man? Don't spread these things abroad. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want us to preach experiences. Really, when it comes down to it, that's what it is. That's the that's the the thread that goes through it. That's the that's this the this the similarities of all these events is their experiences. Don't preach experiences. Preach truth, the fact of the person, not what happened to me. What happened to me? What happened to me? But 
who he is, what he's done, what he says. It's about righteousness. It's about salvation. It's about the kingdom of God. It's not about me getting my belly filled. It's not about me uh, 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 being healed or this thing over here, but rather it's about who he is and what he's come to do. So we want to preach the person of Jesus Christ's truth. We don't preach experiences. We don't preach signs and wonders. We don't preach all, all of these kinds of things, but rather we preach the living God. We preach the living God and his truth, his word, which is preserved unto all generations. We preach what he said of his righteousness and about our unrighteousness that needs to be, needs to be forgiven and we need to be saved from. This is what he's come to do. Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So after I've been resurrected, he says, after the resurrection, because that's when the work of Christ is done. It's all done. He's, he's come to give himself for the, for the sins of the people and it'll be put to death and his days will be prolonged. His day, he'll be resurrected. His days will be prolonged. And that, that's where he finishes his work. He's come to die, be buried, rise again, and that's and after that. Then we can add all things in addition to the full work. Because what Jesus wants is for people to focus on him first, to see what he's accomplishing, what he's doing. He's fulfilling prophecy. He's fulfilling all these things. And, and after the fulfillment of the full work of Christ, then we can look at everything else as well in addition to this. Because now it makes even much more sense. Because until the resurrection, we don't see prophets being resurrected. We don't see angels being resurrected. Who can resurrect themselves from the dead but God only? Jesus says in John chapter 10, I have power to lay down mine own life and take it up again. No man taketh it from me. And he does. He lays down his own life. He bows his head, gives up the ghost, and then he raises himself from the dead. Who has power to do it? Who could raise themselves from the dead? God only. So you see, afterwards, after the work, then we can look at some of these other things because now the whole story is in its proper context. We now really fully understand who he truly is. All right. Mark chapter 9, verse 10. And they kept that saying with themselves about what happened in the, in the Mount of Transfiguration, questioning one another what the raising from the dead should mean, what the rising of the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must first come? Now, they're asking for some clarity on some of these things because, you see, the Pharisees and the scribes and their teaching were quite corrupted. A twisting of the scriptures and, and, and interpreting the scriptures through the lens of their own personal catechisms and their own personal opinions and feelings. So they want, want some clarity on this because uh, they don't understand what it means by that, uh, that Elijah must first come because who did they just see in the Mount of Transfiguration? The spirit of the prophet Elijah with Moses. And this is causing them to remember something that the scribes had said in the synagogues, but that, that Elijah must first come. So is this the coming of Elijah? Was this the coming of Elijah? Elijah on, Mount, on the Mount of Transfiguration? Is that the, the, the interpretation of that prophecy? And he answered them and told them, Elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things. 
and how and how it is written of the son of man how he must suffer many things and be set at naught but i say unto you that elias is indeed come and they they have done unto him whatsoever they, they listed as it is written of him he's already come huh when did the prophet elijah come back again well what is he referring to What's he referring to? If we pay attention to specific words, Elijah verily cometh first and restoreth all things. Cometh first before what? The, com the, the coming, the arrival of the Christ Messiah. That Elijah will come and, and we see the spirit of the prophet Elijah will be the herald of, of the coming of the Christ Messiah. Elijah verily cometh first and restoreth all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things. So he's going to... Uh, be the herald of the Christ Messiah and uh, declare him before the people about what he's come to do. Behold the Lamb of God, which, which will take away the sin of the world. But I say unto you that Elijah is indeed come. He has come. Elijah did come. And they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. Okay, am, am I just misunderstanding this? Or did I miss something? Or what's he referring to? What's going on here? Well, let's go back. We want to go back to the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. We see the white pages of your Bible, clean pages. So we see Malachi chapter 4. And we want uh, the last bit of the final prophecy of the prophet uh, Malachi in chapter 4, verse 5. Look what he says. Behold. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Okay, so, uh, all right. So we see a prophecy of the prophet Malachi 400 years prior. Okay, then turn one page over. You'll see that the white pages... The white pages between between the testaments, that uh, the distance between the testaments is four hundred years. Four hundred years later, we see um, the uh, uh, where Gabriel came uh, came down to speak, uh, sent by God to speak to Joseph and Mary, and and we see the, uh, the telling Mary how she will have a son. We see the fulfillment of that, and then we see uh, Gabriel also goes to Zacharias goes to Zacharias in Luke chapter 1. Zacharias in Luke chapter 1. Now, do you remember? Do you remember the specific wording of the prophet Malachi? I will send you Elijah, who will turn the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, uh, and he'll make their crooked way straight, right? That's what he said. So we see, we see this, the, the angel of God appears before Zacharias in Luke chapter 1. And uh, and Luke chapter 1, verse 13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias, Elijah, 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's not that the body of Elijah will be brought back to life, but rather that the, that the one in the spirit and the power, like Elijah, doing the same kind of work, like Elijah, like as if Elijah has come again, but one in the same manner of Elijah, in the spirit and the power of Elijah, will come and will do this. In the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, what did Elijah do? He confronted the sin of the nation, and he showed the mighty power of God. He went before kings, he went before the rulers, and he challenged the status quo by the power of God. What did John the Baptist do? That. All of that. He challenged kings, he challenged the rulers, he went before the people, and he showed the mighty power of God. And, and we see the, 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 the fire of God that came down to Mount Carmel. What did John say about Jesus? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In the spirit and power of Elijah. John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy of the prophet Malachi 400 years prior. So Jesus says in Mark chapter 9 verse 12. And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh. He did come. He came first and restored all things. Just like I said he would. And, and he preached, John uh, the Baptist preached, and crowds and crowds and multitudes would gather, multitudes would repent before the Lord, and they would show that they had repented, got themselves right by getting baptized. We see the demonstration of that. And he restored all things. He made the crooked ways straight. And it was written of the Son of Man how he must suffer many things. Just John prophesied about what, uh, what Jesus would do. He was the herald of the Christ that Elias has indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, and how they killed him. They chopped off his head, as it is written of him. So, we see Jesus showing them, don't interpret scripture by the scribes. Don't let the scribes interpret the scriptures for you. Let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. Uh, yes, the scribes say this, but what does the Bible say? Where is it prophesied of Elias? Where 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 did they get that? Malachi. Look at what it says. Now look at look at the fulfillment of these things. What does the scripture say about this? What has happened? What does the scripture say is going to happen? What has happened? Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. You look at look at the fulfillment of the word of God. The word of God interprets the word of God. And so we see here the word of God, which became flesh and dwelt among us, is interpreting the Old Testament prophecy of this. Hear him. Hear him. Don't hear the scribes. Hear him. Don't hear the commentaries, creeds, and catechisms. Hear him. Don't hear anyone else. Hear him. Don't hear me. Hear him. Hear the word of God. Look at what the word of God is saying. What the scriptures say. So Jesus, again, is emphasizing this. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. Nothing else. Hear him. Nothing else. <clears throat> so.
All right, and we are down to verse 14. So they're wrapping up there. They're coming down from the mountain and they're having this discussion about Elijah and Jesus teaching them and explaining it to them and what's going on here. And we see they finally come down to the mountain and they meet up with the rest of the disciples. Verse 14. And when he was come to his disciples at the bottom of the mount, he saw a great multitude surrounding them, about them. And the scribes were also there, questioning them, grilling the disciples and questioning them. Because Jesus was, wasn't with them at that time. Jesus up in the mount, so now the scribes see an opportunity to try to, to try to cause problem with the disciples, try to question them, try to set them straight, because Jesus is in here, so we can set them straight. And the, the scribes were questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, saw him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? What do you think you're doing? What are you asking them? And Jesus immediately comes to the defense of his disciples and says to the scribes, What are you asking them? What are you talking about? What are you doing? So he ignored the people and went straight forward to defend his disciples. See, the Lord will always come to our defense. Uh, he is always with us. He will teach us all things. He will guide us in all things. We need not worry. We need not worry who comes at us with scribes, Pharisees, rulers, whatever's going on, whatever's happening, the multitudes. We don't need to worry about what's going on. The Lord is with us. He will teach us. He'll give us the wisdom, the understanding. He will always defend us. What question you with them? And while he's asking this, Verse 17, one of the multitude answers and Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Okay, now we can kind of get an idea of what's going on here. So Jesus goes up into the mount with Peter, James, and John. And while they're up there, meanwhile, down here, all the multitude is gathered around and we see his disciples are standing there waiting and people come and uh, expecting the disciples to be able to help in some of these issues and things. So who knows what the disciples are doing? They're talking to the people, witnessing to them, because, uh, again, Jesus sent them out previously to go and preach the kingdom of God. And so what would, what would they do while they were standing around? Would they just sit there twiddling their thumb? You know, just counting stones, looking at the clouds. Or would they be carrying on the same work that Jesus sent them out to do previously? They'd be doing the same work. But along comes an issue. Now, the devil knows what's going on. And he knows by observation. He waits and he watches and he waits for an opportunity to cause problems. Jesus is now up in the mount. So now the devil thinks he now has an opportunity to cause a problem with the disciples. With another demoniac. Now I'm going to cheat here a little bit and go ahead. And we see in verse 29. Take a look and read verse 29. Mark 9 verse 29. And Jesus said unto them, this kind, if you see context, talking about the devil, uh, this demon, this possession, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. 
All right. Now, I've talked about this before many times. We're going to go over it again. A lot of people are not aware that in the angelic realm, in the demonic realm, in angelology, in demonology, that there... Uh, that uh, what there is, according to the word of God, a hierarchy of the spiritual realm. There's a hierarchy of the angels and a, an inverted, inverted hierarchy of the demonic. Because we see that uh, some angels are more powerful than others. You have the messenger angels. Then we see the, the host of heaven, the army. We see Michael, the archangel. There's only one archangel. We see Gabriel. He's the head messenger. Then we see the ophanims. That's the wheels full of eyes that follow the seraphims that go round about the throne. And then we see the cherubims, which are the guardians of God's holiness. And they stand round about the throne. And then we saw Lucifer, who was the anointed cherub, the one on top, the highest created being of all created beings now in the great rebellion we see uh, as lucifer deceived a third of the angels so that's a third up through the hierarchy of the angelic realm a third of them sided with him and they fell that's why the bible talks about principalities and powers in high places and we see here this kind of coming out of, of a prayer and fasting some devils are more powerful than others and the disciples who were waiting at the bottom of the mount were caught off guard with this. They were caught off guard with this. And this caused a problem. Because generally, as we saw, they said, Master, even the, even the devils are, are, are submitted unto us. And Jesus says, Rejoice not that the devils are submitted, but rather that the word of God is preached. And so we see where they had cast devils out previously, now all of a sudden they can't. In front of the crowd, in front of the whole crowd. And they're trying to cast this thing out. And it's not going anywhere. It's not, nothing's happening. Because what does he say? And he's brought, brought, I spake to thy disciples. They should cast him out and they could not. They weren't able to do this. They weren't able to cast it out. And Jesus is coming down the mountain. What does he see? The whole multitude is surrounding the disciples and the scribes are there telling them off. See, see, your master isn't speaking the truth. See, see, you couldn't do it. See, you couldn't do it. That shows there's something wrong. So you see what's happening here. See what's happening. In this moment, the devil is trying to destroy the faith of the disciples, try, trying to cause a problem, trying to deceive them. But the Lord comes and makes all things clear and explains what's going on. The disciples were fearing. They were losing faith. Their uh, uh, confusion, fear, all this is being sowed into them. Verse 18, and, where, and wheresoever he taketh them, he teareth them, and foameth them, gnasheth his teeth, and pineth away. Okay, let's just look at this for a moment. So he's, he's describing what's happening to his son, what this demon is doing. A dumb spirit. That doesn't mean like dumb, like stupid. This means dumb as in mute. His son is incapable of speaking. Can't talk. And wheresoever he taketh him, and when they're going around that it just happens at random times, he teareth him. What does that mean? You just start clawing at yourself, hitting yourself. Self-mutilation, self-harm. And foameth, just foaming at the mouth, frothing at the mouth. And gnasheth with his teeth. He starts biting at the air and, and then grinding his teeth and baring his teeth. And pineth away. 
that means that panya that means to waste away so you start wearing away in heaviness um you not eat you don't drink and you start you start wasting it's a spirit of wasting and a pine away uh, is to waste away so you start losing body mass not eating you don't care for yourself and there's a lot of problems here and pine the way and now he also talks about um okay i know We'll get to that. So that uh, I asked the disciples, verse 18, they should cast him out and they could not. And they weren't able to. Verse 19, Jesus answered and says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Well, what's he getting at here? It's about belief of faith. Belief of faith. Faithless generation. If something if something doesn't immediately work, you lose faith. If your faith is only strong as long as everything's going well and then it disappears and something bad happens, did you ever have faith to begin with? That shows faithless. Because you still keep your faith and your faith doesn't weaken. Your faith doesn't waver or shake when things don't go well. And it just means that there's something else going on and you don't lose faith. But rather you want to buckle down and you want to take it even more seriously. How long shall I be with you? And Jesus is saying, as he talks about with what's going on, is that I'm not always going to be here to rescue you in these kinds of things. You need to learn. You need to learn what I'm telling you. How long shall I suffer you? So see, Jesus is a bit upset with their faithlessness. He's trying to show them the seriousness of this. It doesn't mean that the faith is wrong all because something's not going well. But rather that we see that the enemy's gonna, going to come and there's going to be troubles. This is why your faith needs to get stronger. How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. I'll show you. Bring him unto me. Verse 20. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, the boy... The demonically possessed boy. Well, so they went and they got this boy and they're bringing him to Jesus. Do you remember what happened? Remember when we talked about the gathering demoniac? And his reaction when he saw Jesus. Now, I've talked about different uh, demonic types. Things that they do. There are some that are very masterful in word uh, in speech and ability, they're very deceptive. They're very coy. There's so, there's some that that are specialists in certain sins. You see, in the Bible, there's a spirit of lying, the spirit of fornication, spirit of theft. We see the spirit of heaviness. We see uh, different specialists of sins and, and and problems. And there are some devils who care about nothing. They don't care about anything. All they want is chaos. The spirits of chaos. All they care about is destruction. Absolute just insanity. Just wreck up the place. They have no reasoning. No logic. Uh, they don't try to bargain, barter, argue, debate. Uh, there's, none, there's no reasoning with them. You can't get through. Uh, you can't do anything. All they do is just explode. They're just an explosion. 
Then when they come in, it's just absolute mad chaos. These are the types that when, when the individual is possessed, they, they just start trying to kill the person. That's all they care about is destruction. Spirits of destruction. And when they brought this boy unto him, when he saw him, saw Jesus, straightway the spirit tear him. Immediately, as soon as the spirit saw Jesus, immediately started tearing the boy. It possessed him. The boy started ripping himself, tore him, and, and he fell on the ground and wallowed around fuming. Fuming, foaming, tearing, screaming, just going absolute stark raving mad. People say, well, that's just an epileptic seizure. What is Jesus' reaction? At the moment he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming foaming at the mouth freaking out on the ground verse 21 and he asked his father how long is it ago since this came unto him and he said of a child ever since he was a young child this it's been like this ever since it's been as a young child has been like this and you didn't take him to the lord you didn't take him to the temple you didn't take him to the priests well we're not told he didn't we're not told he didn't but clearly he didn't do what he should have done because it's been staying with him ever since Verse 22, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire. Then when they're at home or they're somewhere and they're having a bonfire or a cooking fire, that, that the boy's sitting there and all of a sudden the boy will just throw himself into the fire. That's the demon trying to kill the boy. And into the waters to destroy him. It just hurls him into the water to drown him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him. Look at this, verse 23. Look at verse 23. This is what I've been talking about all along. We go through the walkthroughs of the Gospels. We'll go through all the, the letters of Paul. And we see this again and again and again. It's not about works. It's not about earning brownie points. Well, if I've done enough good things, the Lord will answer my prayer. We kind of have that mentality sometimes. We got to build up brownie points with God for him to answer our prayers. That's a bunch of nonsense. But rather, it's not about works. It's not about righteous works. It's not about fruit, maintaining fruit and all this. It's about belief in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ can do it? Do you believe the name of Jesus Christ is powerful? Do you believe the blood of Christ is sufficient? Do you believe that faith alone is sufficient? And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, if you can do anything... Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Now look what this says. Now immediately the cessationists and all, all of the fundamental deniers of supernatural signs and wonders and miracle, miracles and these kinds of things, that they, they will immediately start balking at that verse because, well, the charismatics kind of take that verse and just run with it and go all nuts with it. But what is Jesus implying here? If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. All things are possible to him 
that believeth. Can you please tell me, what does that mean? What does it mean, all things are possible? Because the charismatic would say, all things are possible. So if you want a million dollars, if you want a Ferrari or a supercar, if you want to have a, a luxury yacht, you want to own an island, you want your mansion, you want a million dollars. If you want, if you want, if you just want, 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 heap upon your lust. It is, just believe it's possible and it'll happen. It's not what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is teaching something else here. What's the context? What's the context of what's going on? Spiritual. Supernatural. It's about serving the Lord, going with the Lord, and if need arises, if there's an issue, if there's a need, if there's something that's going on, and uh, like, for example, we see Moses and the, and the Israelites backed against the Red Sea. Egypt is barreling down on them. What did they need? A way out. They needed to continue on going with the Lord. The Lord made a way in the wilderness for he supplied their need. He supplied the water, the bread, the food, the, the guidance, the wisdom. We see, as, as the Lord says, he will provide the words and the teaching. He'll even teach us how to pray. Whatsoever ye have need of. Not your wants and lusts. It's not that it's not uh, of world and flesh, but it's of spirit. If thou canst believe, because belief of faith, that's spiritual. Spiritual. Now let's hold your finger there. Go over to chapter eleven, Mark chapter eleven. We see in verse twenty-two, Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall, shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Hold up. To say unto this mountain, you know, it wasn't metaphorical, right? Say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. This mountain will be plucked up, a mountain be plucked up and cast into the sea and not doubt in his heart what well if you if you would just have enough faith if you speak in your faith if you say you declare you decree if you just say and that if you would just learn to have enough faith that you can say to this and that the words that you say it will do it no you just made yourself God. And that's heresy. That is not what this is getting at. What are you believing in? What are you not doubting? What did Jesus say in verse 22? Have faith in God, not yourself. Faith in God, not yourself. In the word of God, not your own words. God's wisdom, not your wisdom. God's power, not your power. What God says, what God is able to do, not what you're able to do. What God manifests, not what you manifest. See, the charismatic turns it around and puts the power and the ability of faith on you. It's that God is able to, to throw mountains into the ocean. God can create mountains out of the water by speaking. It's learning to have faith in God that the Lord is able to provide, able to prepare, able to deliver, able to do all things. And it doesn't matter what it is. Even if it's something that would be such, so seemingly impossible as a mountain being plucked up and thrown in the water, God is able to do that. 
And it's not even a question. It's not even a question. Shall not doubt in his heart that God is able. James 1, 6-7. Not wavering in your faith of God, that God is able. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith. What things that you are saying? What things that you are saying? The things of God. The scripture. The righteousness of God. The kingdom of heaven. The things of the Lord. Not doubting those things of the Lord. The abilities of the Lord. The ways of the Lord. That the Lord said that he would provide for you. That the Lord said he would protect you. He would help you. He would guide you in all things. He would be with you always. That it's about faith, not works. Shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. What things? Let's go over to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Verse 31. Matthew 6, verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient to the days the evil thereof. Let's go over to John 15. John chapter 15 verse 7 if ye abide in me and my words abide in you you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you if ye abide in me to abide in Christ to abide abide that's uh, that's means your abode your home to live in Christ if you live in me and my words abide in you and my words live in you if you live in me and my words live in you what's what's that what's that picture what what's what does that show a complete complete consuming of the faith that's it's all your thought your word your life your actions everything about your being everything about your existence is for christ of christ about christ for christ if you live in me and my words live in you you should ask what you will and it shall be done unto you okay Think about this one just for a moment. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're fully consumed by the life of Christ, what did Jesus say to the Samaritan woman at the well? Out of you shall flow springs of living water. That, that those things which you are asking is not to heap upon your lusts, but rather what you're going to be asking is going to be according to the will of God, because what is the will of the Father, John 6? The will of the Father is you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God will teach you how to pray, that when you are living in Christ and his word is living in you, the Spirit of God will be teaching you how to pray, and the things that you will be asking will be that which is in line with the will of God anyways. You see that? You see that? So you don't have to worry about what you're praying because what you will naturally be praying will be in line with his will because you are abiding in his will which what is his will that you believe in the lord jesus christ out of a full heart fervently 
So you don't even have to wonder and worry and say, you know, oh Lord, if it's your will. You don't even have to say that. You don't even have to wonder that. You won't you won't even have to wonder if that's his will because you are naturally praying in line in accordance with his will because you are abiding in him and his word is abiding in you in fullness and the spirit of God is teaching you, putting it on your heart and mind what to ask in the first place. Mark chapter 9. Verse 23. If thou canst believe, can you can you just believe? Just believe of heart. Now, the belief of prayer, the belief of faith in the things of life, in uh, in deliverance help protection provision whatever whatsoever things you have need of the belief that, uh, of the lord in accordance of these things and you're asking of the lord for help and guidance in these things the same belief that you have in jesus christ for your salvation is the same faith that you have in the rest of the story the faith that you have in Jesus Christ for eternal life is the same faith that you have in him for physical life. It's not different. Why would you question that the Lord is able to question your prayers and all things, everything that's going on? Why would you even question and doubt it and wonder it and fear it? Do you question and fear your salvation? Do you believe the Lord is incapable, incompetent, he'll fail, that maybe he won't save you or he'll cast you away? Do you doubt the cross? Do you doubt the resurrection? Do you doubt the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you doubt the gospel? No. Then why do you doubt the rest of the story? Think about that one. If you can just believe, <laughs> if you could just believe in me, Jesus says, you could just trust me. Do you trust me, Jesus says? Do you really, honestly, honest to God, trust me, Jesus says? Have faith in God. For whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it. Think about that. You say, well, you know, if maybe, ignore those people. Those people are the faithless and the fearful and the unbelieving. Those who call themselves Christians and doubt and fear in all situations and circumstances, they have to run to everything else. They don't run to God. They can't just trust God to help them through. They can't just trust him. They have to take all matters in their own hands. They got to worry and fret and fear and figure it out themselves. Those are the faithless and unbelieving. All things are possible. All things are possible. All things it doesn't matter what it is it doesn't matter what situation circumstance issue problem it doesn't matter government people society home life work life private life doesn't matter physical or spiritual doesn't matter what it is all things are possible to him that believeth what in jesus christ all things are possible well then how come all things are possible. Are you telling me Jesus was wrong? That this specific wording that Jesus said here is wrong? 
Are you telling me that, that he made a mistake? Or am I reading this wrong? All things are possible to him that believeth. Tell me. How am I supposed to interpret that? Or is this some like Calvinistic type uh, interpretation? All things. No, that doesn't mean all. This is a Calvinistic all. This means a limited, specific, you know, just a couple things. Not all things like it says. It's just a little, just a couple things. How am I supposed to read this? All things. What does all mean? All means all. Things are whatsoever things. Everything. Anything. All things things are what possible it's possible it is possible it is possible how to whom is it possible by whom is it possible through whom is it possible i can't do it with with men it's impossible with god all things are possible god can do it Peter walked on the water. Just kind of just use your sanctified imagination in that one just for a moment. All right? Let's use your sanctified imagination just for a moment. You're in a boat and you're in a terrible terrible storm and you're in the middle of this uh, of this of this the sea and there's a huge storm waves are crashing over your boat. You're fear you're in literal fear of your life. Your boat is sinking. Massive storm, lightning, thunder, wind, waves. It's just absolute chaos. And there goes Jesus walking on the water. You cry out in terror because you're already completely overcome as it is. And this is just, this kind of just sets you right over the edge. And you're crying out in terror. And Jesus says, it is I, be not afraid. And then Peter, you're, you're, and Peter pipes up, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. Wind and waves and lightning, everything's going on. If it is you, he's holding on the boat. If it's you, tell me to come to you. Jesus says, come. And Peter throws his legs over the side, takes a deep breath, stands up. And they're in, they're in the middle of, of, of the water. They're not at the shore. There, there wasn't a shoal. There wasn't some coral thing or it wasn't it's not a sandbar or was nothing it wasn't shallow water they're in the middle of the water mi middle of the sea and it's deep water and peter is now standing on water peter starts walking on water it's not ice it's not sand it's water he's walking on the surface of the water and jesus is just standing there grinning peter's looking his eyes are wide and he starts looking around and he starts shaking he starts looking at the waves and he starts sinking he starts sinking he cries out lord save me and jesus bends right down grabs him by the hand stands him up back onto the water and they walk back to the boat All things are possible to him that believeth. Peter believed in the word of Jesus Christ in that moment. If it is you, tell me to come to you. He trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and it was done. The point of that was to show that all things are possible. The feeding of the thousands, turning water to wine, raising the dead, healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind. All things are possible to him that believeth. The belief of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For what? The fulfillment of faith in the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. 
if thou canst believe. But you see, the problem that we're, what we're faced with today, and, he, and this is also part of the reason of the movement of cessationism where individuals don't believe in in the reality of supernatural signs and wonders and miracles today you know why because the vast majority of christians don't have faith even though they say they do they don't it's in word only it's not an actual application of belief of faith you know why because they trust in this world more than they do the living god they trust in technology they trust in medicine they trust in doctors they trust in psychologists they trust in therapists they trust in our technology and toys and our sciences more than they do in the lord this is why over in third world countries you see more manifestations of miracles than we do in the first world countries as they don't have all our luxuries and toys we have replaced god with everything and I'm not saying technology is sin or bad or wrong, but we, we trust in our toys and we trust in our science and abilities and technology more than we do God. Because we say, Lord, could you please deliver? And then we run to all of, all of our abilities, all of our things, and we try to figure it out ourselves. Do you see what I mean? That our faith is misplaced. This is why we don't see. It's not because miracle signs and wonders are no longer for today. That's a bunch of nonsense. Rather, it's because we don't have faith. Miracle signs and wonders, they still happen. They're still real. That's not even a question. Do they still happen today? That's a, that's a stupid question. Of course they do because God does not change. And nowhere in his word does he say that that stuff would stop. Rather, he says, if you just trust in me and believe in me with all your heart, whatsoever you ask, it will be done. Not doubting in your heart. If you just believe it is, po it is possible, it will be done. Whatsoever things ye have need of. And we see the answer to all of this in verse 24. And straightway the father of the child cried out. We see a desperation. He cried out. He no longer cared what was going on. He no longer cared about the people. He cried out. He cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Oh, if we would just learn to cry that. We see here such a sincerity. We see such a pleading. He, he, he no longer cared what the scribes thought. He no longer cared what the people thought. He no longer cared what the faithless and the unbelieving thought. He, he saw the living God standing right in front of him. And he cried out, Lord, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. He, he looked into the eyes of Jesus and he saw he saw the eyes of Christ. He saw and he remembered what Jesus had said, what he had taught, what he had done previously. It all flooded to his mind. He knew right there in that instant, he knew, he knew that Christ could do it. He knew that the Lord Jesus was, is able, was able. He knew that his prayer would be heard. And he cried and he asked, and also for forgiveness. Forgive mine unbelief. Help mine unbelief. Forgive my weak faith, O oh Lord. 
help thou mine unbelief this world will fail you people will fail you all kinds of problems in this world everything going on will will, will just flood you and fail you you can't trust in anything but jesus christ you can't trust in anyone but jesus christ you can't have faith in anything else but jesus christ help thou mine unbelief help thou mine unbelief cessationism is anti-god it's anti-christ it's anti the faith those individuals have no faith in jesus christ in his ability or they may say they believe in him they say they have faith but it works dishonor him they deny his ability is the lord still able today of course he is he doesn't change he's the living god he doesn't change is he still able to deliver today yes absolutely are the devils still bound by the name and the power of jesus christ yes they are does the lord still hear our prayers yes he does do souls get saved yes they do does he still answer prayers yes he does why would we seek to limit it in any way shape or form why would we seek to change it modify it twist it to fit to fit a, a different narrative the poor man cries out and said in tears with tears lord i believe help thou mine unbelief what do we see previously again and again and again down through the gospel of mark what do we see this and he had compassion and he had compassion he had compassion on the man he had compassion on the multitude and he had compassion on them the compassion of christ is the grace of christ his compassion is bestowed by grace the unmerited favor of god this man help thou mine unbelief help mine unbelief help me to understand would you help increase my faith lord would you please show me how to believe jesus when jesus saw that the people came running together they saw some jesus is here jesus is about to do something they came running they wanted to see too jesus saw that the people came running together he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter, enter no more into him. And the spirit cried. A demonic scream came out of the boy. The spirit cried and rent him sore, threw an absolute fit, tore him and thrashed on the ground, with the, uh, screaming, and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. Now, not many people are aware of this and know this, but in a in a moment of spiritual warfare and dealing with the demonic, it is absolutely draining. It is absolutely draining. It, it, it's on a different level there's the, the spiritual level and i'm telling you that it it wears you out faster than anything and when it's all said and done you are so exhausted 
And I'm not talking about like you're standing there and you're you're fighting and yelling all. No, 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 no. It's just a, just the the weight of the moment, the weight of everything going on. It is so just draining. And especially, especially for the one that that is being delivered. And even so much more here, we see in so much that many thought he was dead. He, the, the, this boy, uh, absolutely just beaten up in and out internally and externally beaten up by this devil they, they said he, he this boy's dead he's dead but jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose he walks over to the boy and bends down takes his hand you would have seen the boy's eyes flutter open looked up and jesus standing there smiling now it doesn't say it but I'm telling you, knowing Jesus Christ, knowing his character, knowing his behavior, knowing what he's like. And we read through the Gospels, we see his personality. We see what he's like. He's, he's the God of joy and peace. I personally believe that when Jesus would deliver, he'll help a person. When he looks someone in the eyes and he's helping them, I personally believe with all my heart that Jesus would be smiling. It would be the smiling, joyful, glad face of God looking upon the one that he helps. That the, the, the glittering eyes of Christ looking down smiling eyes. The smiling face of Christ is holding out his hand, takes the boy's hand, stands him up. And the boy would have been given strength. The Lord delivered him. Now gives him strength. He is our strength. He is our help. He is our provider. Gives the boy strength and he stands up. Just like we saw with the man, the, the, the lame man, Jesus told him to stand up. And we, and as it says, and, and he it was given strength in his legs. That means uh, all of the sinew, everything would have come back. He stood up in front. You would have seen his legs come back to strength. The man with the withered hand, you would have seen his hand just be given strength and healing right in front of your eyes. The leprosy, well, you would have seen it dissolve away right in front of your eyes. Here we see it again, reaches down by the hand of Christ, the boy given strength and life stands up. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? The disciples held their peace. They knew it wasn't the place. With everything going on. And privately, they were wondering, you know, what's going on? Because previously, Lord, when you sent us out, you sent us by twos, we went and preached the kingdom of God, and even the devils are subject unto us. But all of a sudden, here and now, this one, we, we, we did as you taught, and it just it didn't work. We, we had faith like you told us, and it didn't work. Hold up. No, no, don't ever think like that. Don't ever think like that. Don't ever think the faith didn't work. Prayer didn't work. The scripture didn't work. That's a lie of the devil. That's an absolute lie of the devil. The faith always works. It never loses. The name of Christ always works. He never loses. What well, the Lord has taught us by the word of God, his word will never return void. God doesn't lose. The faith never fails. The faith never fails. 
the faith remains the same. It's just there's there's something else going on. Like we saw, for example, in Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, we see Daniel praying and praying, asking of the Lord, and he received no answer. Oh, prayer didn't work. The faith didn't work. No, 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 no. We see Daniel set, sets a precedent for us, an example. That when you don't get an answer right away, what do you do? Give up. Stop praying. Well, I prayed for this person for years and nothing's happening. You know, I give up. The Bible says faint not in prayer. There's something else going on. See, with Daniel, as uh, finally, 21 days later, after he fasted and prayed, he fasted and prayed, that when he didn't get an answer, and so, something was seemed to be going on, just something was just not right, what did he do? What did he immediately do? He chastised himself before the Lord. He examined himself to see maybe he had done something wrong. Maybe he had sinned. He examined himself before the Lord, and he fasted and prayed, and he fasted and prayed until he got an answer. The Lord will answer. He will answer. He will tell you yes, or he'll tell you no, or he'll explain what's going on. He will always answer. We must keep praying. We must keep uh, bearing down until the answer comes. Because it was see as the angel finally came and told him. Daniel, from the very first day, God heard you and sent me for your request. From the first day, then what took you so long? Would you detour? It took you 21 days? What's going on? The angel, the angel says, But as I was coming, the princes of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. And I stayed there and fought with them. And the kings of Persia came. See, the princes of Persia, which is an Old Testament name for devils. The princes of Persia withstood me. And then I fought with them against the kings of Persia. And Michael came and fought with me against the kings of Persia. More powerful devils. We even see another example there of the inverted hierarchy of the demonic realm. The kings of Persia. Michael and I fought against the kings of Persia. And now I am here for your request. The devils blockade your prayers. Now why would they do that? To make you doubt. To make you lose faith. To make you uh, start fearing. being uh, uh, Start allowing unbelief into your heart. You start giving up in prayer. You start, you start waning in your faith and your walk with Christ. Because that's what they want. If they can't have your soul, they want your faith. There's nothing that devils absolutely hate more than Christians who take the faith seriously. They're going to do anything and everything they possibly can. They'll stir up your home life, your private life, your work life. They will wreck up the place, the kids, the cars, the cows. They're going to, they're going to be doing anything and everything they can to destroy your faith, to throw, throw you into depression and fear and faithlessness and anger and all kinds of problems. They're going to make everything just go wrong. They're going to ruin your job, ruin your home. They're going to cause problems in your family. They're going to do anything and everything they possibly can. They're going to look through your life to see what are your triggers. What are what are the things that they can, they can just keep hitting on that would be the most effective? Constantly, 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 constantly. A sin, a temptation, something that they know that you really struggle with. They're going to keep bringing it in and in and in and in and keep hammering that one until you're calling on God out of desperation. Why can't I just seem to get over this problem? They're going to be doing that. It's not that the faith failed. 
It's not that prayer doesn't work. It's not that God is ignoring you. It's that the spiritual world is a lot bigger than what you think. It's that you are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. The devils are fighting you. They're trying to stop you. They're trying to destroy you. Like this poor boy. They may not be able to destroy you physically, but they'll destroy you spiritually. They'll bring in everything that, so that you won't want to go to church. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to pray. They're going to distract you and hinder you. You ever noticed? Have you ever noticed when you try to sit down to read your Bible, you're by yourself, you got a quiet time, try to sit down to read your Bible and pray, everything goes nuts. Phone rings, kids go crazy, dogs go crazy. Suddenly there's bugs, flies buzzing in your face, there's distractions, your phone notifications start going up, and, and uh, your brain suddenly starts getting flooded with schedules and work and everything else. You can't pray because everything going on. You try to sit down in church to pay attention to the service, and you can sit in front of the television for hours on end, but the moment you sit down in the pew, you can hardly keep yourself awake. Your eyes are just trying to close. You're going like this, trying to watch the pastor. You can barely keep yourself awake. Your head just keeps nodding off. You ever notice that? That whenever, whenever, whenever it comes to something spiritual of the Lord, it seems everything just goes wrong. Do you, have you ever wondered that maybe it's not a coincidence? That maybe that's something spiritual? The spirit of heaviness has come upon you at church and you keep falling asleep. You can't pay attention. You can't pray at night because you keep falling asleep. Your brain just keeps going off. You can't serve the Lord because problems and issues and distractions and hindrances just come out of nowhere every time. That's the, that's the enemy coming at you. It's not that the faith failed. It's not that prayer failed. It's not that God is ignoring you. It's not that it's not necessarily that you've done anything wrong. It's the fact that you're trying to do something right. That's why you're targeted. That's why the devil's targeted. The disciples are at the base of the mount where Jesus, Peter, James, and John are up in it. The devil's target had an opportunity right there to test them, to try them, to sift them, to try to challenge their faith. Lord, why couldn't we cast him out? And what did Jesus say? This kind, this kind, this kind of devil, this kind of trial and tribulation, this kind of persecution and oppression, this kind of opposition, that, that when you're praying and, and it seems like nothing's happening, you've tried everything, nothing's working, then what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it must not be God's will that it should work. It means batten down the hatches you're in for a rough storm that means bear down knuckle down and go even harder 
that means pray harder pray longer take the faith more seriously because now you've got the attention of the army of hell that something big and powerful has stepped onto the battlefield a champion trial of the enemy is come is, is coming down the road at you you better brace yourself you're in for a fight and it may take you may take you a day may take you 21 days like daniel it may take you a month or a few months it may take you a year or years it may be but don't you dare faint in prayer take the faith seriously and fight for your life the will of god is that you keep praying and you don't faint in prayer the will of god is you take the faith seriously the will of god is that that if it takes your life then so be it it's until death do us part in this life is you take it seriously with all your soul, mind, body, and strength that you give your life on that battlefield. If it means that you have to die in the midst of it, then so be it. I'm going to stay stay faithful to the Lord, come what may. No matter what storm comes my way, I'm not quitting. Do what you want with me, enemy. I'm not stopping. You can't make me stop. They may come at you with all with all of your uh, temptations and issues and trials. That they know what you're what you're weak to. They know your strengths and your weaknesses, and they're hitting all the buttons. They're hitting all the right buttons day after day after day, and you feel yourself wearing down, wearing down, wearing down. But all you're doing is grinning. They may keep knocking you down. The righteous man falls seven times, it rises again. And they think they got you and they turn around, they're rejoicing, but you're bloodied and beaten and you just your, your hands come in and you start pushing yourself back up. You're going to have to take me down again. You're going to have to fight me again. This is the attitude that the Lord is getting at. This kind cometh not up of a prayer and fasting. You got to fight harder. You got to pray harder. You got to take it more seriously. There are devils out there that want to destroy you so badly they can taste it. They're, they're drooling with, with, with just the savor of destroying you. I've seen it. You've heard my testimony. It's real, folks. It is so real. It's so real. There are devils out there that are so powerful. There's the enemy out there that is so vicious. Absolute rabid monsters that want to dis destroy every aspect of faith in you. And they don't care what they do to you. And there are Christians walking today just completely oblivious and not even caring. Not taking the faith seriously. Rarely pray, rarely read the Bible, and they wonder why their prayers aren't being answered, and they wonder why things are going bad all the time, and they wonder why when they call upon God, nothing happens. When you don't, when you don't take the faith seriously, what does the Lord say? You'll receive nothing of the Lord. And then they have the audacity to put the finger at God and blame Him. God doesn't like me, or God doesn't care, God won't hear me. Well, maybe because you don't hear Him. Hear ye Him. Take the faith seriously. How seriously do you take the cross? How seriously do you take the blood of Jesus Christ? How seriously do you take hell? You know, hell is just as real as heaven. Just as there is the shining bright glory of God on his throne, reigning sovereign all the glories of heaven, there's also the crackling of the fires of hell and the heat and the smoke of hell and the screams of the damned. 
And here on earth, there's people who don't even care. They could go a day, days, weeks, months with hardly a care. They don't take the faith seriously. They don't bring up all things before the Lord. They don't seek his face in all things like the scripture says to do. So many Christians lose faith and walk away from the faith. Because God's not hearing me. God doesn't hear me. Meanwhile, there's nothing in their life to show that they even took the faith seriously. You know, God's not the genie of Aladdin, right? He's not a genie. He's not some fairy up there that just grants us all our wishes. He's the sovereign Lord God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Elijah. The God of Samuel. The God of Peter, James, and John. The God of Paul. The God of the Bible. The God of Israel. The God, the creator of all things. He's real. His name is Jesus. And he asked him, would you just believe in me? Would you just trust me? Would you just trust me? If, would you just believe in me that I am able to do all things? That with me, all things are possible. Do you trust me? Do you believe me that I can do all things? Do you believe that I can cast out devils? You can't. I can't. People don't cast out devils. We do not cast out devils. The Lord casts out the devils. We call upon his name. And in his name, the devils are cast out. Prayer and fasting, it, it, what this does, it, this is a work on ourselves to bring us closer to the Lord so we learn to trust in Him and believe in Him more that the, that the weaknesses of our unbelief, of our faithlessness will be done away because we're drawing ourselves close to the Lord and study of His Word because we start reading it and taking it seriously. We start reading it and believing what it says. And this, this strengthens our faith in him that he is able. causes us to remember what he has done and said. What he's capable of doing. And understanding that he can cast out the devils. This kind. This kind, this kind of tribulation. This chaos. This spirit of chaos, these chaotic situations, these trials and tribulations that come down to test your faith are defeated by taking the faith seriously. That's what he means by prayer and fasting. By taking the faith seriously. Living it like you say you believe it. Praying it like you actually mean it. Not fearing the events and the issues and the problems of this world because they are nothing to God. Parting the Red Sea is as easy as him snapping his fingers. It says in scripture that by a blast of his nostrils, he parted the sea. God just went, just breathed out of his nose. He just breathed air out of his nose and it parted the sea. It was that easy. Jesus says, which is easier, saying to him, rise up and walk, or saying thy sins are forgiven? It's so easy to God. It's so hard to us. Why is it so hard? Because it's spiritual. Because it's spiritual. And the flesh hates it. The devils hate it. The world hates it. 
We have so many enemies. We are beset on every side. Everything, every situation of every trial of every day, sufficient unto the days of evil thereof. We're surrounded by so much evil that tempts us and trials us and, and causes us to struggle. But the Lord is faithful. And he makes a way of escape. You are not allowed to be tempted above that which ye are able if we would just but trust him. To lean not unto our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him. He directs our paths. He makes the way in the wilderness. He brings the water from the rock. He casts out the devils. He brings the manna. He's the one who can do all things. To him he is able. It's not based upon our earning brownie points, upon our doing, but upon our believing. If we would just b believe on him, out of you will flow the springs of living water, the good works, and the fruit, and the deeds. Focus on Christ alone, not on ourselves and the deeds of our hands and our works. Christ alone on the water. Don't look at the waves. This kind of trouble that is weighing upon you, have you ever tried praying and fasting about it? You say, well, yeah, I've tried it. You tried it like you would try an aspirin. It's hurling yourself upon it until you get an answer. Well, I fasted and prayed for a day and it didn't work. I fasted and prayed for an hour and it didn't work. As Daniel showed us, you fast and pray until the answer comes. Because God says, whatsoever ye ask, I will do it. We call upon me, I will answer. All who come unto me, I will no wise cast out. Ask, and ye shall receive. He didn't say you might receive. He didn't say I might listen to you. It may, it may happen. He says, I will answer. Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. Whatsoever you ask in faith, not doubting in your heart, it will be done. So you pray until you get an answer. You fast and pray until you get an answer. If you're struggling in your faith, fast. Did you know? Did you know? That in many of the newer Bible versions. This passage right here. This kind cometh not forth but by prayer and fasting. Did you know in many of the modern Bible versions. The last two words. And fasting. Are removed. Did you know that? It just says, this kind comes not forth uh, but by prayer. But in the original Greek manuscripts, it says, and fasting. Who would want to monkey with the word of God to alter the scriptures, remove and fasting, so that the people reading it would never learn what, what Jesus says about how to overcome certain devils and certain trials? Jesus said prayer and fasting. Who would want to attack the word of God and remove and fasting?
so that you wouldn't learn what Jesus actually said in the fullness of it. Think about that one. What does your Bible say? Does your Bible say and fasting? So what's the lesson that we can take from this? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing trust. Faith is believing trust. Faith is not works. Faith is not obedience. Faith is not righteous works. Faith is believing trust. Faith is belief. Trust in the living God. What do you have faith in? What do you trust? Everything else will fail. Kingdoms rise and fall. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. What this book says is the absolute truth, the absolute reality. Everything else is irrelevant. Everything else doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, what, the, what the white coats say. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what society says. It doesn't even matter what your eyes seem to tell you by experiences, what your senses tell you. As, 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 it, as we read, this is my beloved son, hear him. And we see Peter says, we have a more sure word than even the audible voice of God. More sure word than even experiences what the scripture says. If God says, sorry, since God says he's always with us, he will never leave us, never forsake us. He will always be with us. He will always hear us. He will always help us. He all he, no, he always hears our prayers. His ear is always bent down to us. He hears us. He sees us. He cares about us. He will teach us all things and help us in all situations, he even teaches us how to pray. Then what? would seek to make us doubt that. No matter what the situation is. What would be seeking to make us doubt that? Lose faith in that. That God is able. That he will keep his word. He will keep his promises. What would be weighing upon us to try to get us to not pray about it? No matter what it is, even in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. In everything that you do, everything. What did Jesus say? If thou canst believe, all things are possible. What things? What things soever ye have need. What's, what's your need? Do you trust that he is able to help and provide? Uh, do, you, do you believe that he'll, he will provide? Do you believe that he will convict the individual of sin and, and draw them to the Lord? Do you believe that the Lord cares about them? The Lord wants them to be saved? Do you believe the Lord wants to help that person? Do you believe the Lord wants to help you? Do you believe the Lord cares about you? Do you believe the Lord is invested in your life and, want, and wants to walk with you and talk with you and be with you throughout the day? 
Do you believe that? Take it seriously. Take it seriously. To take the faith seriously. As serious as your own life. As seriously as you take your own health. How seriously do you take your spiritual health? Because, folks, if you were to eat and drink as often as you read your Bible and prayed, how healthy and strong would you be? We sit in front of the stupid idiot box, the television, for hours and hours on end like a bunch of zombies, brainless zombies just soaking in everything on hours on end. And how, how much time do we spend in the in the Word of God? We'll, we'll spend two hours, three hours watching a stupid movie, and then we'll complain that the Sunday service went beyond 30 minutes. And the preacher's long-winded. He talked for 30 minutes. He talked for 40 minutes. But you'll sit and watch a, a two-hour, three-hour movie. You'll, you'll binge watch a, a whole seasons of a TV show. You'll spend hours reading your own books, hours playing video games, hours listening to the radio, hours on your own life. But, but you will hardly spend any time on your spiritual life. And we wonder why. That, the, that, the, that Christianity is struggling today. We wonder why we have so much problems in our faith. We wonder why we struggle so much. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what would happen? It's a thought. If we could even just get a handful of born-again Christians. Could you imagine what would happen? If we could get a handful of born-again Christians who took the faith 100% seriously, could, well, well, imagine, imagine what would happen. Imagine the revivals. Imagine. Such Christians could shake the very gates of hell and send the devils running for cover. Such saints could send the devils just running, could bring down the fire of the blessing of God upon the hearers. The churches would flourish, revival spread, God be magnified. But why does that have to be an imagining? Why does it have to be just using our imagination on this? Why does it have to be a thought? Why can't it be a reality? He would say, well, it's just, it's just, you know, so you're making excuses. So that goes to prove you don't want it priorities like I like a, uh, I've said this before is a, a quote by a good old family friend of ours he's gone to be with the Lord a great preacher he said people don't do things because they just don't want to there's no such thing as an excuse People don't do things because they just don't want to. Do you want to serve the Lord? Now, not want of mind like it's a good idea, but a want of heart. That in your heart of hearts, you want to serve the Lord so mightily. You want to do something. You want to get out there. You want to. Then why don't you? 
the devils will try to make you fear they'll throw throw all kinds of hypothetical situations and questions and fears and impressions upon you to the point where you literally be shaking your knees knocking at the very thought of fulfilling your heart's desire how do you go about serving the lord you serve him you just do it get out there Open the door. Get out there. Start handing out the tracks. Start telling them. Start reading the scriptures. Start praying out loud. Start taking the faith seriously. Start shouting amen in the service. Start encouraging the saints. Start bringing the lost to Christ. Start taking the faith seriously. Start challenging the devils. Show hell that there are still champions of God upon this world. Where are the mighty men and women of God? Where are they? Where are the Deborahs, Annas, Esthers, Ruths? Where are they? Where are the Peter, James, and Johns? Where are they? Who were they? You know, they were absolutely no different than us. They're absolutely no different than you and me. They were not some special, sacred, mystic, in pe mystical type of people. They were just like you and me. Averages, just regular men and women. Who took the faith seriously and look what they accomplished they weren't perfect they were sinful people just like you and me they had struggled they had their own temptations they had their 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 own miseries they had their own problems but they took the faith seriously and look what they were able to accomplish Elijah is just like you and me Esther was just like you and me Deborah is just like you and me John was just like you and me but they took the faith seriously and look what they were able to accomplish. Look look at uh, George Mueller of Bristol. Just like you and me, he took the faith seriously. Charles Spurgeon, just like you and me, he took the faith seriously. What's our excuse? What's our excuse? Why could not we cast it out? But what if we took the faith seriously? Even the devils are subject to the faith. It doesn't matter who or what they are. It doesn't matter if it's if it's one of the the, the base uh, the base soldiers of hell or if it's Lucifer himself. The devils believe and tremble. They tremble at the living God. So so what if when we walk in the room, we bring the fullness of the faith with us? When we walk in the room, the, the heads of the devils just whip around because they see what's coming into the room with us. Take the faith seriously. Take the faith. Take belief. Take the trust. Take Jesus Christ seriously. As seriously as you take him for your salvation, you take him just as serious for the rest of the story. We'll end it there. Chapter 8, Part 1. Alright, let's take a look at some of the comments here. Lots of comments. Alright. Uh, <laughs> pure, purely like, like you like that, eh? Uh, the comment I made at the beginning of this broadcast before we got started, I said, oh, the coffee's hot and so is our faith. Yeah, that's actually a good... Uh, uh, t-shirt idea there you go you can borrow that one too if you want go ahead um <laughs> all right good morning good morning good morning how's it going okay going down through um 
Um, okay, just seeing if there's any comments here. Uh, Kirk says, good morning, CCT. I'm painting a mural this morning in Denton, Texas. My attention may wander, but I keep praying through it. Yep. Hey, pray that the Lord give you the skill and the ability and the blessing of that. Amen. Okay. Um, all right. And uh, as we we're talking about the passage there, talking about uh, uh, they're asking, well, uh, the scribes say that Elijah must first come. We we're talking about that. And uh, Rosalie says, New Agers like to use this passage to prove reincarnation. Yeah, reincarnation is stupid. That's not true. Uh, but, uh, but, but like we showed how it, when we cross-reference scripture, we see the proper interpretation of this. It's not talking about any kind of thing of reincarnation, but rather it's talking about in the spirit and the power. It's pointing to men once to die and after this, the judgment. Okay. Purely says, I can't stand the way Satan is uh, clearly deceiving Christians to seek experiences via concerts, uh, uh, wonders from other people etc satan loves it because that keeps people focused on what he can mimic good point very good point all right uh now we're talking about the poor boy who is uh possessed and i said uh, uh one excuse that i have heard people use they say well that boy was just having an epileptic seizure that they were just didn't understand back then and they just they, they just pinned every kind of issue just on, on a supernatural thing when it actually just normal issues actually it's the other way around um as we see back then how prevalent how how prevalent demonic uh, possession and oppression and demonic issues were the spirit of binding the spirit of this the spirit of that and the uh, possessions that mimic what what we see a lot of today that people say is natural issues how much of those i'm not saying all issues are demonic but just go to think of it then how many of these these illnesses diseases and problems and issues that we see today how much of these mental problems everything else going on how much of them actually are supernatural and not natural you know one thing I have noticed that individuals who seem to have a health problem seem to have a health problem and they've tried everything. They've gone to doctors and specialists and therapy and they've tried medicines and everything else and surgeries. They've tried everything and everything, everything and nothing, 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 nothing works. Nothing works. They've tried praying and fasting and praying. They've tried medicines and therapy and help and everything and nothing, nothing works. That generally is a nice, great, big red flag of it being a supernatural issue and not a natural. Just something to think about. Yeah, and we know that this boy wasn't it wasn't actually epilepsy, but it was actually a demonic thing. But a lot of what was happening there seemed to look like epilepsy. So just give it some thought that maybe not all seizures are natural seizures. Not all mental problems are natural mental problems. But so how do we approach this then? Have you tried fasting and praying about it before running to the doctor? Have you tried fasting and praying and seeking the face of God about the issue before running to therapists, before running to the pharmacy, before running to everything else? Have you tried giving it to the Lord first and then the Lord tell you what to do? Because maybe the Lord knows something that you don't. The Lord should be your great physician first. Go to the Lord first and have no have no intention of going to anyone else that the lord would tell you to go to the doctors so give that some thought all right 
All right. Um, let's go down through the comments here. Uh, Quinn says the enemy must be around us at all times, waiting for a moment to strike. Yeah, they are waiting to tempt and try us. The enemy is aware of your prayers and fights to keep them from being answered to destroy faith. That's right. That's right. Okay, going down through the comments here. All right, um, Quinn says, if God forgives us, can we forgive ourselves? Well, this is lear learning to uh, let go of the past. As the Lord says, take no thought, not take no thought of the morrow, uh, forgetting the things of the past, forgetting the things of the past. That yes, the weight of the past may be upon us, but we need to keep reminding ourselves that since the Lord has forgiven us, those things no longer matter. It doesn't matter anymore. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to think about it. It shouldn't be a weight on me because the Lord has dealt with it. So stop thinking about it. Put it out of your mind. Who would want to keep going and grabbing those garbage bags of the past, bring them up to us, untie them, open up, and fluff up the stench of the trash? Who would want us to keep dwelling upon the things of the past like that? The enemy. They keep us wallowing in misery, but the Lord gives us that spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. So we need to keep reminding ourselves, as the Lord has forgiven us and forgotten those things, so should we. Put it out of your mind. Don't even think about it. Yep. Okay. Going down through. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay. Um, so it comes down to taking the faith seriously is what the Lord is really impressing upon his disciples here in this one. So, so when you go from here, keep that in your mind, taking the faith seriously. I would like you to maul that over, maul that over, consider that. What does that mean to you in your life, in your circle of influence, of your home, your job, wherever you are? How can you take the faith seriously in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking? In everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. How can you take the faith seriously in a glass of water? How can you take the faith seriously, talking with your neighbor, driving around town, whatever, fill in the blank. How can you take the faith seriously? So give it some thought. All right, so we're going to wrap that one up there. Okay, so thank you so much, folks, for joining in. This has been a good one. I always love talking about this kind of stuff. It's always so encouraging. It, it, it sharpens our faith, sharpens our spirits. It helps us to just ignore the flesh so with that so if you appreciate these studies please give us a like give us a thumbs up make sure you subscribe hit notification bell icons so you know we put up new videos and check out all our other videos we got tons and tons of other content link uh, we got links and platforms all other stuff we also our website where is it there it is christiancoffeetime.ca got links to all their platforms and goodies uh, we have a free downloadable gospel track pdfs if you don't have a printer what you can do is you can download the pdf put it on a thumb drive or whatever and and or you can even send it via email to a print shop and they can print that stuff off for you or if there's a church near you you can ask them if they could print off some gospel tracks through this and give them the link too and they can use it too. it's free get the gospel out there and then print them off fold them up and get it out there get out there take the faith seriously get the gospel of jesus christ out into the world so with that 
God bless you folks. Thank you so much for joining in. Uh, Quinn says another refresher. Amazing. Yep. Uh, the word of God is refreshing. The word of God is a cup of cool water. It's a refreshing cup of cool water. It is the water of life. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, his words is life to us. His word is life. So give that some thought. Memorize these things. Get it out there. Serve the Lord with all thy might. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do with all thy might to the glory of God. God bless you, folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.